I'm sitting all along. Yeah. What it is is what it is. Hit tonight. Hit just a few seconds if you can wait because I can't. What it is. What it is. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 187 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I am joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? Did uh, you think Mr. Eddie Hearn learned a little lesson about the American boxing landscape <laughs> this weekend? <laughs> Oh man, I hope he gets a re- no. I don't hope he gets a refund. <laughs> you know what I mean. You got to come to this uh, country and learn how difficult different markets can be. It ain't Long Island, baby. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, but Eddie Hearn presented the PBC, did he not? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Had that feel, didn't it? I wonder if his cut was as substantial as Big Papa's Al's, but I guess eh, Anthony Joshua's a you know pretty big piggy bank. But I'm not so sure it's as big as a uh, billion-dollar coffer from, uh, you know, a hedge fund. No, I don't think uh, Joshua could earn that in his career. If he fights Deontay Wilder, he will. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently he's not going to fight Joseph Parker, Ken. Oh, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like when we talk about all of this sort of awkward transition from the PBC into the hands of of, of the likes of Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren, um, I just can't help but feel that somehow some way the sham balded head of Lou DeBella will come shining through the, the British are coming again Ken they're just they're just bringing the same used trash we already saw gosh <laughs> oh man well welcome to episode 187 of the tale of the tape boxing podcast <laughs> this is gonna be an action-packed yeah, one Vin. interesting start <laughs> hey at least we are here recording the show that's all the it takes a lot these days doesn't it yeah yeah, that's all the fans want, though, then. <laughs> that's all they want. Um, all right, let's get this over with. We got some post-fight to do. Yep. Um, there's, you know, I guess some conversations circling um, the heavyweight division right now and, you know, more to add on from last week. And then also, of course, uh, you know, the way that the end of the year shaping up. We'll touch on a little bit of that as well. But let's go back to Nassau Coliseum on HBO. It was Danny Jacobs versus Luis Arias last Saturday night. A middleweight contest, um, Luis Arias, very, uh, you know, vocal, very uh, dramatic, very, I don't know, I guess somebody had to try to fucking promote the thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Eddie needed some help selling it, so Luis might as well uh, get mouthy. And, I mean, uh, you know, I actually thought the kid had a better chance going into that fight. I don't know if I underestimated Danny Jacobs again, but I don't think I did because that, that performance wasn't very impressive. And all Arius was is, you know, he proved he's a professional that can stink his way through 12 rounds because all he did was grab and hold the entire goddamn fight. And, I, you know, come on. At some point, are these fucking referees going to stop a fight and take control and say, knock off the fucking holding or I'm taking a point because I, it, you know, obviously holding can get egregious in a lot of fights, but I, to me, it was like, this is unbelievably insane. You thought you were watching Sean Porter again. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Except this was Sean Porter just can't help but run into you. Arius was fucking clearly grabbing Jacobs all night long. Take a point. 
it was a wonder to me that Jacobs wasn't able to clip him at any point. And maybe it was because there was so much holding um, because when things got a little bit close, but dude, in those moments to get close, you have to pass through the danger zone. Right. You know what I mean? Like you have to pass through the range that your opponent would like to hit you at. That's what was confusing to me was that Arias clearly showed in the first round. I mean, he had some, uh, you know, aggressive moments and spots, but quickly realized that he had no power no. to offer Danny Jacobs. No. And we all called that if 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 somehow Arias couldn't couldn't clip Jacobs, he, there was no chance he was winning this. Nope. Not in Sir Eddie's first matchroom card in the United States. Not Danny Jacobs rehabilitation story times fucking five. Right. On 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 HBO. No poetry <laughs> from Peter Nelson himself could have given a victory to Luis Arias outside of a knockout. But the confusing thing was for Arias even to, I, I guess, resemble that he had any power whatsoever, it came at the expense of lunging shots that exposed him so much. How could Danny Jacobs not throw a quick... I mean, we've seen him so many times against suspect and fighters that expose themselves, like Peter Quellen, for example, mm -hmm. you know? A quick little shotgun uppercut, quick little short check hook, you know what I'm saying? And right. his accuracy was fucking awful. It was. Awful. I it was kind of I felt like I was watching a different fighter who was trying to implement a different style than what we what we've grown used to. I mean, he's not I don't want to sit here and say Danny Jacobs has been the most aggressive fighter in his in his career, but he normally throws a little bit more aggressive shots and has a little bit more bad intentions when he punches. To me, it just looked like he was going through the motions. Like, he figured out a way to win this fight. I can win this fight going away. I'm I, I, I'm, I'm putting myself at no risk with this style. I'll win all 12 rounds. This guy can't hurt me. There's no reason to get risky here. This is not the fight, I'm, uh, you know, that this is all building towards. It's all building towards a either the winner of Canelo Triple G. You know, that's that's what he's holding on to is that payday. And he's not going to risk anything until he gets it. That's uh, that's what it seemed like I was watching anyways. Yeah, I mean, that that clearly was his approach. Because he, uh, can, he can be more aggressive than that. Yeah. And, and I've and, seen it. You've seen it. Yes. And, and even if he's not bringing, like, constant heat, like if he's not, like, laying on you, fucking stinking you up James Kirkland style, right, you know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, that's not Danny Jacobs' style, you know? But I felt it was almost too much to script because one of the things that caused me to change the channel halfway through the fight and put on a movie, um, <laughs> you know, was the fact that Max and Roy were adamant and they always are. And, and, you know, and look, Max gets heated when he gets thrown off of one of his bullet points. Oh yeah. But the two of them sp spent literally six rounds and it, I'm sure it went longer repeating the same 30 to 45 second bullet point that they had learned in the fighter meeting about Danny Jacobs are things that they just had to keep repeating. Mm -hmm. And it went on and on and on. And it was almost like Danny Jacobs was trying to sort of provide a little background dance or background action <laughs> to the bullet points. You know what I mean? Right. It just became so, it's like, oh, so Danny Jacobs fights like this. Crazy how none of us have seen this before, but you guys have paragraphs recited about how this new style that Danny Jacobs is all of a sudden fighting in goes. 
Hmm. I mean, it's not like we don't are you know we don't already know that there's a clear bias, and especially for a guy that HBO was debuting uh, or re-debuting, I yeah, guess. Yeah, uh, and you're also dealing with Eddie Hearn, who everybody's trying to get a piece of Anthony Joshua right now. So HBO is just they're doing what everybody does. They're licking ass, basically. Yeah, and they're going to paint this thing the way they want to paint it for now, and that's fucking fine. But I mean, I'm not going to sit here and act like uh, yeah. I don't see right through all that bullshit. So what you're trying to tell me is we just wasted a few minutes talking about that when the reality of the situation is Anthony Joshua's contract with Showtime ends at the end of this year. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's the key piece in all of this Eddie Hearn shit, isn't it? Yeah, I th- He's yeah. coming. Eddie Hearn didn't just come to America. <laughs> he came to America because there's going to be a bid for his prize pony here. Yeah. HBO is going to overpay for the likes of Danny Jacobs and maybe even some more PBC defectors. Uh, I mean, you can't you can't help but look at Anthony Joshua from the business perspective of boxing and say, "Yeah, this guy can float the ship for a decade. Let's make yeah. sure we get a hold of this guy." Well, look, I mean, we're seeing a uh, reemergence, you know, post Floyd Mayweather exodus, post Dick Schaefer trying to tank the company and not re-signing um, all of. Uh, basically the entire PBC roster. Right. You know what I mean? And now Golden Boy is seeing a resurgence. Yep. You know, behind the bankroll of Canelo Alvarez. It doesn't, you know, hurt that Oscar has other investments, you know what I mean, that oh, yeah. uh that make way more money for him than boxing does. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But if he had to float it just off the profits he makes from Golden Boy, he's he's taking those profits and recycling it back into this, you know, this Thursday and Friday night program he's got going on on ESPN. Yep. It's the same situation. You know, it's just that in 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 the UK it seems so much more intense because it's concentrated in a smaller area where people are a little bit closer together. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, overall, man, I just I hope Danny Jacobs was just skating by for the sake of what lay ahead for him. It could have just been a fight down to competition, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, all right, let's talk about a fight that did not um provide any fireworks at least danny jacobs and luis arias were moving towards one another (laughs) um jarrell big baby miller made his hbo debut against marius walk um a heavyweight fight why would you pick marius walk i mean you should have known in picking walk that you're gonna get a fucking shit fight i mean honestly yeah i I mean look he's big enough to just be awkward enough to make anybody look bad especially a smaller a shorter shorter armed fighter right it's just gonna be tough for him and it's not even like it was tough for him but what a fucking blah fight man well i think it really boiled down to all the factors that you said on top of the fact that jarrell miller had no fucking idea how to deal with this guy no you know what i mean so if you don't even have a clue you know he dude he used no strategic adjustments or wherewithal like you hope a guy that's supposed to win a fight will be able to make adjustments. We've talked about this time and time again. Mm-hmm. The biggest wall that the top prospects ever run into, other than the, themselves, let's be honest. You know what I mean? Guys like <laughs> Felix Verdejo yeah. run into themselves on a fucking motorcycle. <laughs> but, you know, my point being is, is that that's usually not the issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, Jarrell Miller runs into this conundrum, I guess, of like, wow, they really picked the wrong fucking opponent for this. So they take everything that you said, and then the guy has no answers whatsoever. That's not good. No. Because if you want to compete in the super heavyweight division, 
your claim to fame in the end after four or five fights at that level with super fucking heavyweights, with guys the size of Anthony Joshua? Yeah, shit. <laughs> a guy with half the ability of fucking Marius Walk. Right. You know, the truth is, it's like, dude, you don't want to be known at the end of the day as, hey, my claim to fame is I outweighed him by 30 pounds. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you're not going to be able to fight in that style you fought against, against Walk, against any other heavyweight in the world that's that size and, and, and better. It's just, I, I've never, like, if, if, if Jarrell Miller cannot hurt fighters, if he's going to punch the way he punched in that fight, which was just, it just didn't look like he could hurt anybody in the heavyweight division. Like, uh, even volume-wise, I don't really think he did that much damage. If Wok's hand wasn't broken, thank God. Thank God. We don't even sit through any more fucking rounds of that. That was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I was really disappointed being a fan of Jarrell Miller just because of the fact that, gosh, if we could put, you know, it's not that Anthony Joshua has a horrible personality, but if you put, like, Anthony Joshua, the specimen, and sort of like, uh, you know, the the feared, revered persona of Anthony Joshua, if you put that with the personality and just the wordsmithing of Jarrell Big Baby Miller, mm-hmm. dude, you'd have the second coming. You really would. He said... Terrell Miller said, I didn't fight good at the weight. And he, he was like 17 pounds lighter than the last fight. He's like, I don't think that the 17 pounds helped me. Oh, so he was down to fucking 282? Yeah, 283. Oh, yeah. oh, great. He had a nutritionist this camp, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, like, Jarrell Miller versus Tyson Fury, a belly bumping contest? <laughs> hey, Tyson's back in camp, baby. Look, Look Looking sharp, Ken. 280 pounds of just sharp cheddar there, baby. It is so funny, though, that even against pool noodles, you know what I mean? Shaped like, I don't know what he's shaped like. You know what me? I mean? Like, like, Yeah, like you, exactly, <laughs> and me, to put together. You know, 300 pounds plus, you know, probably closer to 350, just rotund gut, you know what I'm saying? And and as much as we clown on people training with with pool noodles, what it did show, especially after watching this weekend of Jarrell Miller versus Marius Walk, is that Tyson Fury still, even at a sloppy, obese, fucking out of shape, cocaine, uh, just blown uh, dude, uh, hangovers for days, this guy still has the best technique and the best footwork in the heavyweight division. I was watching the two videos that got put out recently. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, why don't you just come back as the fat man, dude? <laughs> Let's see if you can fucking do it. You'll be the dusty roads of fucking boxing. Going 12 rounds is going to be fucking hard, but he might be able to box his way to a victory in the first eight. Dude, what if Tyson Fury came back just as he is now, you know, with all the bravado and everything that he has, and and he rocked a Bam Bam Bigelow unitard? <laughs> well, and he'd have to get the fucking the head tat. <laughs> That he might have the head. Tat. I mean, if you're gonna go, you got it. If you're gonna sell it, sell it. <laughs> oh, I think uh, uh, the opposition of Tyson Fury probably assumes that there's some kind of vulgar tattoo underneath his fucking hair. I mean, would you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't uh, just watching those videos? You can't tell me that. Yes, it's just a, a minute long or thirty second long video. I get it. Trust me, I get all that. But it, it can't help but just make you think. This guy at 340 fucking pounds might be the best heavyweight in the world. He maneuvers better than anybody. He can get himself out of trouble in a fight 
better than anybody. And that's not like I'm a, not a fan of the of the Fury fighting style. They find a way to neutralize and box their way to wins, and it's not very exciting. But you got to respect it. Yeah, I mean, you got to respect it on the same level that that people you know appreciate the likes of Floyd Mayweather. You right, know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, look, it may it may be the least appealing thing you want to watch. But the fact of the matter is, unless you got an answer for it, sorry, he's neutralizing your ass. I don't think anybody out there's got an answer for it right now. <laughs> look, back to Jarrell Miller, Vin. Yeah. He, look, here's he, here's the fact of the matter. All right, Joseph Parker has looked extremely unimpressive. Okay, in his last few fights, uninspired, he, uninspired. But he has towed a very, very competitive road along the way. Yeah. He's had very competitive. Um, opponents fighting pretty much everybody within the top 20 on his way up to that belt. Marius Wacht beating him uh, just just so much more decisively than Jarrell Miller did. Yeah. As of today, I thought Jarrell Miller would be in competition, say, with Joseph Parker for that like perceived third or fourth slot in the heavyweight division rankings. Joseph Parker works him over 12, dude. Oh, yeah. I works him over 12. That j- he jabs him to death. Jarrell Miller's, uh, he needs to stay on a grill for a little bit. Yeah. He's a little rare. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, man. I mean, like, people applaud the fact that somebody that can come out of kickboxing with that kind of physique can come and, and personality. I want them to be good. So do I. But <laughs> the thing is, let's be honest, how much box professional boxing experience has he had? Not, mu- not much. No. Not just, enough, clearly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a work in progress. Yes. Um, the best thing that Sir Eddie could do for Jarrell Miller is get him some freebies against the likes of uh, – I don't know. Let's say um, Dominic Brazil can swagger. Maybe Charles Martin. David Price. David Price is ready for a comeback, isn't he? Hey, Chris Ariola is ready for his his annual salary. (laughs) Right. Um, All right. So we'll talk a little bit more about the heavyweight division um, because let's be honest, outside of what you said it before the show, Rigo Lomachenko and uh, Saunders versus Lemieux. Yeah. Second half of the year. (laughs) Too tasty. No. No, it's not. And 2018 is looking like we could probably wait until summer vacation to start the, uh, you know, the episode for the show. 2018, hurry up and wait, boxing fans. It's going to be great. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So also in action, November 11th, this past Saturday night on ESPN from Fresno, California. Believe it or not, folks, you may not know who he is. Our UK uh, listeners may have no clue. But Jose Ramirez is the biggest ticket seller in American boxing. And he headlined the ESPN card and squared off against Mike. Yes, indeed. Reed. That Ken, I, I think now he's known. I, I, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he getting 1.48 million viewers on ESPN, which uh, is not a fucking huge number, but that's bigger than what they've been doing. And he tuned in and saw a packed arena. And this kid is, he's an action fighter, man. There's no reason not to like watching this kid fight. He brings... Everything that you want, entertainment-wise, into the boxing ring. Flies in attraction. Yes. And, and, you know, take heed. Other fighters and promoters. It's this guy's blueprint that he's used uh, to make this kid a fucking, uh, uh, just a, he's a superstar in that area, period. And that that shows and that helps in growing his brand. He's going to be fighting Amir Mom for a vacant title. Um... I think we're looking at a champion, and, uh, you know. Oh, Amir Mom will work this kid in boxing for probably the first two or three rounds, and uh, then he will collapse. I think Amir, I think he swallows Amir Mom whole. I think Amir Mom's not the same fighter 
that he was that we saw coming up as a so, prospect. So you don't even think that Amir Mom's talent, okay? Was did wasn't it Granados that stuck that stole his soul? Who? Amam. Yeah, it might have been. Um, I remember watching an Imam fight, I think two or three fights before that, where he got dropped uh, two or three times. Yeah, I think that was Granados. Well, here's the thing, okay? Amir Imam, I feel, has enough skill against a guy like Jose Ramirez and his style yeah. to where he could jab himself to safety for, 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 for two or three rounds. Mm-hmm. My point in saying what I what was about to say about Amir Mom is, is he will fold like a fucking lawn chair. Oh, yes. You know what would. I mean? We've seen it. Yeah. It'll be a submission hold. It'll yep. be finish him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But here's the thing, though. Jose Ramirez is just wild enough and he's just aggressive enough where a guy with probably a little bit better hand speed and better reach with very good down the middle game, mm-hmm. you get to a mirror mom, it's over. Oh yeah, absolutely. You just never know. Yeah, you do. You don't. And I can't help but you know, seeing Jose Ramirez as a ticket seller here, and seeing what Josh Taylor did this past weekend in dominating uh, Vasquez in a, a fighter that's never been dropped, never been beaten like that. Kid shows uh, that he's serious. Can you imagine those two guys having a little? One off, one in Scotland, one in Fresno. I mean, it's just something that that looking looking down the line at 140 pounds, there's some exciting prospects. Uh, you know, good good fights to be made in the future. Oh, I tell you what, the the atmosphere if that were to get pulled off, oh, would be unbelievable in both places. Absolutely, with the rabid following. You know, um, you know, one of our listeners. I don't have my Twitter page pulled up right now. Had asked uh, our opinion about Josh Taylor after the fight. And you know, like, you know, wanted to know what we thought about like his future prospects in the sport. Mm-hmm. I'll say this, man: if Josh Taylor can avoid the letdown, if he can avoid getting too full of himself or becoming too big for his britches, you know yeah. what I mean? Yep. If he can get past that and sort of harness what he is able to do, because there are spurts in his fights where you see, wow, this guy could okay mm-hmm. be the next Ricky Hatton. Like he has moments of just explosive combination punching, Mm -hmm. punching from angles that are non-traditional, that are not assumed of your stereotypical white UK fighter. He he works really well on the inside. Oh, dude, his uppercut game, the way he slides in and out with that low game is beautiful. And he keeps showing that he's not only is he gifted skills-wise, Smart. He's a smart, smart fighter, man. He stays out of his own way. I don't know him. I don't even know what his reputation is as far as like him as an individual, like outside of the sport. Right. I can't comment on him like I can comment on Oscar Valdez and his reputation. Right. Outside of the ring, Josh Taylor avoids all 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 the little speed bumps on on the way to being successful. Dude, he is going to be right there. And Jose Ramirez's will, his determination, his aggressive style, and his following. He could beat anybody. Could beat anybody. So you're right. 140 is looking real nice. Yeah, and I, I, to me, that matchup is the juiciest matchup to look at moving forward. I like it. I like it. Um, did you catch the Artur Baturbiev return against Enrico Colling for the vacant IBF 175? I did. I'm going to not pass judgment on him because this is I, I've never seen Baturbiev fight this way. I he's just been got, so inactive. Yeah, I, I, I you got to wonder if he's just like you know what I can fucking I can take this dude out quickly if I want to. But I really don't need to box three rounds tonight. I need to box 12 rounds. Because he's only had 12 rounds when he was active in two years. Yeah, dude, he needs the rounds badly, you know. 
I don't know, man. I don't give other fighters the benefit of the doubt like that, so I don't know why I'm giving it to him. But I've just seen how he fights normally, and it's just that's not how it goes. Well, maybe he's gun shy. I mean, he is almost thirty. What is he? Is he thirty two? He's thirty two. Yeah. Okay, so he's thirty two years old. Um, he's fought, including the twelve rounds that he put in against Enrico Calling, twenty four rounds in the last three years. Yeah, I mean that's just not enough work. Yeah. Um, and look, who knows when you're going to see him again because he's still in a contract dispute and uh, he could be out for another nine months. But Turbiev, to me, like I don't really care at this point about this guy at all. Look, if they can get him a fight soon, fast, you know, they can get him against, you know, Gavozdich or, you know, somebody at 175, you know, if they can get him a Kovalev, Shabransky winner. Right. You know, let's not even, uh, you know, mention a Duckness Chickenson because Baturbiev is clearly out of that running. Get him Bivol, son. <laughs> Whoever. Right. You know, point being is I don't think that Baturbiev's run is going to be very long. He's no. been injury prone. He fought a ton of amateur fights at this you know, at, at this point in his career, he's so far behind the eight ball, regardless of what you think about Sergey Kovalev today, you know, because he's just a year or two ahead of him age-wise, right? Now, they fought in this matchup apparently in the amateurs where Baturbiev beat Kovalev, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of beef there, but the fact is is that regardless of what you think about Kovalev and his rise, he far su- surpassed even the point that Baturbiev is approaching in his career right now. Right. And, and and that's really the difference. So you either fast track him, hope he doesn't get hurt, right? Yep. Risk him against your show ponies because there's a lot of young talent at 175 pounds. Or you give him the Adonis Stevenson treatment and give him freebies like, well, you know, it's not beyond um, top rank. It, it, it's really not. Let's look at Gilberto Ramirez as an ex-opponent. You know, a TBA until announced. I mean, a guy that you want to get behind is he seems to have something to him, mm-hmm. but is clearly being protected because, let's be honest, he's probably not as good. As, yeah, I don't get that. You know what I mean? So maybe that's the path. We hope, as fans of aggressive boxing, as fans of fighters that have the ability to lay the fucking hammer at any second in any fight, that's Paterbiev's reputation. Yep. I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt on this fight, but I am willing to wait until the next one to see if he can bring back the thunder. Yeah, uh, and you know, there's no I mean, what, there's no more time to waste with the guy. No, knock the motherfucker out, schedule the next fight for next week. Yeah. I, I, Jesus. I, I, look, we had Kovalev come out this uh this I think it was yeah, it was yesterday or today uh at at his media workout saying I'm I'm all for the next World Boxing Super Series to be at 175 pounds. And if there's a division that is absolutely ripe for that fucking tournament right now. Oh, geez. It, it is 175 pounds. With or without a duckness? No, you, we don't need him. Not at all. <laughs> Elder Alvarez can have in all he wants. He's been looking for a fight. Right. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's get away from this, uh, this ESPN card. One last little post-fight, Ben. Did you happen to catch the epic sequel of Liam Smith versus Liam Williams? Can't say that I did, my friend. <laughs> I got my fill in the first fight. That's fine. I know it was a big deal in the UK. I just thought, you know, it's one of those domestic fights that works over there and does, I mean, it is talk about not even, doesn't even sniff the fucking radar in the U.S. Some of our diehard U.S., uh, uh, you know, co-fans out there were pretty heated 
at the benefits of the doubt that old Liam Smith was getting. Of course. Surprise. Of course. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I guess it was, was it yesterday? It was Wednesday, I think, was, I don't know if you messed around on Twitter at all, but it was Joe G Day in the UK. (laughs) I saw some of the memes. Good, dude. I was fucking laughing my fucking ass off for like 30 minutes just scrolling through looking at all. All the hate being thrown at Gallagher. You know, fill me in and our listeners who don't know the backstory behind this Joe Gallagher dog treat thing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's clearly not real, but it, <laughs> this story has grown fucking legs, baby. Did he take a dog treat and stick it up a dog's ass? Is that is that the deal? <laughs> or did he put a dog treat on his penis and the dog went for the treat and also got his penis? You'd have to ask Brian King on that one. Oh, Brian King has the film on that one, huh? <laughs> Apparently. Did he shoot the film or did he acquire it? I, I think he just acquired it. <laughs> he probably shot it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, to all of the boxing universe, happy Tesco Joe Day. <laughs> Hashtag Joe G Tesco. I can't wait for next year. <laughs> oh, my gosh, man. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, Liam Smith, Liam Williams, cool. Sweet. Awesome. Sweetersons. Um, News and notes then. Yep. Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker, back to the heavyweight division quickly. Um, If I recall, when Anthony Joshua acquired the IBF belt from Al Heyman, right? Uh, Purchased, acquired, (laughs) however you. Whatever. (laughs) From uh, uh, Charles Martin. Uh Charles Martin got paid. What, like four point five million or something like that? Close to five mil, yeah. Okay. So Joseph Parker, who himself is a heavyweight champion, um, now at this point after the Klitschko fight, you have Anthony Joshua has the IBF and the WBA, thanks to Vladimir Klitschko. In the year twenty seventeen, we've had a unification of all four belts. Um, you know, unified champions lost their belts, Mm -hmm. but we were hoping in the heavyweight division that Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn were steering the ship towards a unification fight, especially one perceived to be um, the easier one of the two to grab Yeah, in Joseph Parker. And apparently um, we knew negotiations were going on. We spoke about them on the last episode, but information has come out thanks to Joseph Parker and his Twitter handle where he came out and said, listen, Eddie Hearn fucking offered me half of what he paid Charles Martin. He's going to offer me half for a unification fight? Yeah. I mean, it's that, that clearly states the case to me. I, you know, before I even get into any of that, it almost seems like all of these guys are posturing, and they are all, they are all I don't want to say they're scared to fight each other, but they would all would like, hey, let's wait and see. That guy might, Parker might lose his next fight. Hey, Wilder might lose his next fight. We might even have to deal with him. It's like they all just are kind of playing this fucking game. But if you play that game with that mind frame, then your opponents will get weaker every time you fight. I, I mean, I to me that that offer stinks. And of course, there's the there's the crowd that that comes out immediately and it's like, well, that's more than he made in uh, the the total pot for the uh, Huey Fury fight wasn't even that big. It was only two point two million, and he he split. He had to take a split on that. Look. That's Huey Fury. This is fucking Anthony Joshua. I mean, what's? how do you not see the difference here? And it's not like Joseph Parker is some fucking scrub. 
He sold out arenas in New Zealand. He brings a, it may, it may not be a worldwide fan base, but he has a fan base. It's certainly bigger than Deontay Wilder's. Anthony so, Joshua ain't sponsored by Burger King. Nah, he ain't got that backing. <laughs> StubHub, shit. <laughs> got the king, son. <laughs> I, it's, it's, I, I don't understand it. To me, it's you clearly, you guys don't want to fight. And I don't, you know, it's. You're that far apart. Right. And you're talking about a guy in Anthony Joshua that will be able to. Dude, it, even if he fought. You know, fucking Kubrat Pulev in his next fight. Right. With the the gate, the pay-per-view revenue, there's probably no less than $30 million in the pot. Right. You can pay a guy like Kubrat Pulev a million dollars to come and get knocked the fuck out. Yes. Anthony Joshua will take 80% of his proceeds. Eddie Hearn takes 20% of his proceeds. So you're telling me a fight against Joseph Parker couldn't be bigger than that? Couldn't generate? Let's just say, let's be conservative then. Let's say $40 million is in the pot. Mm-hmm. You can't give the motherfucker four or five million dollars to come to your country and defend his belt. Is it the superiority complex over the ex-colony of New Zealand? <laughs> Do we have to get liberal on you? No. I, <laughs> I will say this for the uh, Parco and, and, and Duco side of the negotiations. You're not getting 40 percent. If that's where you're standing firm, then yes. This no, w- percentages will not play. Yeah. Well, th- <laughs> come on. Yeah. It's take it. You're gonna get a flat fee. I mean, uh, everybody's gonna have to fucking, and eventually they will come to the conclusion in their simple little minds that the way the fucking industry works these days is well, Anthony Joshua has the cards, and if you want the fight, you're gonna have to bow down. But you're only gonna bow down to a certain extent. You're not gonna drop to your knees and fully insert his dick in your mouth. Hmm. You're you're just gonna uh, you know, give him a, wife give, <laughs> give him a little fucking fluff job. And be done with it. Can everybody just, can we come to a happy fucking number here? Please. I don't want to see fucking Kubrat, Pulev, or who the fuck ever else is going to be the opponent. Yeah, but it will be. It's going to be Joseph Parker versus some top rank. Lucas Brown. That fight's yeah, already. That, okay, Lucas Brown. That's already in the weights. It's, it's, that fight's already pretty much a done deal. Shaved teeth and all. Yep. Right? Um, so he's going to fight Lucas Brown. Dominic Brazil is going to fight Deontay Wilder. Yeah. And then guess what? There's been conveniently and miraculously Dillian White has appeared at the top of the WBC rankings. So guess who Deontay Wilder's opponent will be after Dominic Brazil? Dillian White. And then we'll finally get Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua, probably another broken hand along the way yep. in 2019. Yep, April 2019, kiddies. I was about to do a Ric Flair woo there. <laughs> Rick ain't doing too well. No. I don't want to fucking push him off the ledge, you know what yeah, I mean? No, nah, he doesn't need to be tied in with that. <laughs> He's got enough on his name. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. Um, I don't know, man. Look, all these guys, they can posture all they want to. They can be as, you know, as afraid as they want to. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter if it's Eddie Hearn, if it's Bob Arum, if it's Al Heyman or Oscar De La Hoya. Any of the big power players in the game today. Mm-hmm. The fact. Hey, is, hey, hey, Frank Warren. Who? Frank Warren. He's not on. He's not a power player. No, Frank Warren is in the categories of like Lou DiBella. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yes. like let's keep giving fucking Al Davis credit. You know what I'm saying for for the creation of the NFL. At some point, you got to be like, dude, 
He's good for like sitting at his desk and giving a fucking funny ass interview, reading other other promoters' e- emails and making them look like shit. He's gonna ride on the coattails of fucking Box Nation for the rest of his days. He will. You know, oh, I created Box Nation. free streaming view of shit 24 hours a day (laughs) and then any fucking card that's worth a shit is taking place in vegas that they pick up and it fucking live feed at four o'clock in the morning i don't i don't know how they do it (laughs) fuck frank warren man (laughs) yeah he seriously is like ludabella with fucking you know some pool you know he's like if ludabella was still at hbo if ludabella was still a real promoter if ludabella was still well, no, he's not done shilling for Al Heyman. If Luda Bella was still emptying fucking Don King's fucking piss bottles for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm with you. Yeah. I, look, all these big-time promoters, man, the fact of the matter is, in this day and age of boxing, they things straights can get so dire, mm-hmm. right, that it can produce a year like 2017. Mm-hmm. But guess what? In the minds of these promoters, they want to get back to the status quo so fucking fast because they know that they will become more lucrative over a four or five year business plan by stretching out what assets they have because they're not willing to invest in the assets of the future. So what do you have to do? You well, got to ride that? the gravy train as long as you can. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of them might look to their perceived assets and go, these fucking assets ain't really that good. No. They're James DeGale. Yeah. Let's give them to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Lee and James, take a hike over to Frank's side of town. What do you think about Carl Frampton's fight this weekend as we close the show? <sighs> I don't know. It's frustrating. His Look, I, it's it's tough. I don't, you know, He's the Carl, white Gary Russell. <laughs> he ain't that bad. He doesn't give a fuck about boxing, dude. I don't know. It's 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 weird. I, I I'm... I'm not sure what to think of the move away from the McQuiggins, and I get it. You want to be in charge of your own career. You're looking for bigger fights. This doesn't spell that. It's a it's a return home fight. I know you've been looking to do that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Get this out of the fucking way, please. Hurry up. This fight is pointless. But uh, moving forward with him, if he turns back into the, I'm looking for the, you know, the high-quality uh, the, the fight that that's going to sell, uh, whoever the opponent may be at 126 or 130, it, I'm fine with it. But I I got some concerns, man. Like I'm wondering how much longer he has left in his career, and if this move eventually is going to be the move that kind of brings him back to the pack, and he just kind of fades away and turns into that fighter who fights in in the UK and in Belfast, in Ireland only. And he's TBA. Yeah, and he's not a he's no longer a a national a draw, which he was becoming. He really was. He was making a name in this country off those two Leo Santa Cruz fights. This his career has stalled majorly. They're all wondering at the beginning of the segment, they're like, Ken, why would you say that Carl Frampton doesn't give a shit about boxing? Vin decided to take the long road <laughs> and try to explain it to you. <laughs> You know, Can you tell I'm a Carl Frampton fan? No, slightly? I am too. But everything that you just said was the math that I did while I was kind of floating off into the, you know, some lost segment of the show, you know, thinking about this. Dude, the fact of the matter with Carl Frampton and all of this, it all resorts back to his commentary 
the same commentary that we've heard from the likes of Gary Russell Jr. in boxing, mm-hmm. the same commentary that we're hearing over the last, you know, past two months in the NFL as it relates to Ben Roethlisberger, right? You want me to take you seriously, but you just said, you just told me, um, I'm at the end of my career. Yeah. So it's almost over. So Ben Roethlisberger wonders why he's getting fried. And, and it's not so much from, from, from the media, you know, surprisingly not. It's from the fans. It's like, all right, so you just came out and laid the groundwork for a fucking soft landing after an epic collapse. Yeah. Uh, I was too old. I told you guys that. <laughs> I was done. I wasn't interested. Right. Carl Frampton came out and said, I'm thinking about retiring soon. Yeah. Leo Santa Cruz, thinking about retiring soon. Gary Russell Jr., thinking about retiring soon. It's worse than the fucking welterweight division. <laughs> All the possible opponents for one another to keep capitalizing on the successes that they've had in their careers. Nope. All of those have been taken off the table because it sounds like they're all employed by the same advisor that says, you've made enough money in this game, son. It's time to cash out. Let me get you over here with Frank Warren because Eddie's clearly turning his back and going where the fucking getting is good. Right. Right? So Al takes these guys, James Gale, right with them. James Gale and Carl Frampton have been been placed have been put on the adonis stevenson layaway plan and they will collect checks they will come and collect their salaries that is the direction of carl frampton i have been the biggest carl frampton fan there is i would compare my fandom to anybody that outside of fucking belfast but that was two years ago and this is where we are now i've i've gone past the tea leaves i've gone past everything he said it that's all I needed to hear. Once you tell me you there's a fucking piece of doubt that you want to continue your boxing career, an NFL career, the two most dangerous sports on the fucking planet. Yeah. No, you don't want to have that in the back of your head when you're trying to perform. Nope. Not when you're the fighter and not when you're the quarterback. No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, and what, what, what are you supposed to, how are you supposed to feel as a fan when a fighter tells you, Basically, in so many words, says I'm two or three, maybe four fights away from done. Yeah. Well, that's a year, two. You know, if it's two fights, that could be a year. You tell me you're done after next year. What is this building towards? This is one of the fights here. What are you doing? Like, I'm not, I'm not interested in you know. Lee Selby. Yeah, I'm not interested, and I'm not interested in your retirement plan if that's what this is. It's leading towards a Lee Selby fight. Right. It, it, to me, it's leading towards. We're going to find a way to scoop another belt, a 130-pound belt, a cheap one, and that will be the next fight after this fight is looking for the, the, the easiest path at 130 to a belt, which I believe they're already ranked number two in one of the sanctioning bodies. I, I believe by, uh, what's Jezreel Corrales, the WBA? Yeah, WBA. Yeah, so he's ranked number two. Well, now Machado. <laughs> yeah, right. So, there, I mean, there's, there's fights to be won there. And to me, that's the plan. We're going to get you another belt. You're going to have this re- return fight in Belfast. After you get that belt, get you another big payday. Come home to England. Maybe re- maybe fight Scott Quigg again. Maybe uh, maybe fight a washed-up Rigando at that point. Who the fuck knows? But it, it's not, to me, it's just not exciting to think about two years ago when we were getting excited, uh, excited about this guy. It was, he's going to eventually make his way to America. He brings a rabid fan base. His fighting style is entertaining. He was the Ring Magazine Fighter of the Year. And it has fucking flamed out beyond belief. This is fucking classic crash burn, Mav. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I don't know, man. I, I this whole thing with Frampton to me, in a nutshell, is this is what Frampton says when he makes those comments. He says, "Fans of Carl Frampton, I'm sorry, but you care about the sport more than I do." And yeah, that just that's a proposition <laughs> that just doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. Not in boxing. No. Jeez. Somebody gonna hit you. Somebody gonna hurt you, and you're gonna give up. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe we get the rebirth, but I don't know. Never heard of Frank Warren being of the um, uh, you know, supernatural abilities of rehabilitation of the turtleneck one himself, Mark Kriegel. Or, or being able to produce a mega fight for any fighter, period. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, I guess that's about as much Frank Warren as we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah, that'll, that'll wrap up the Frank Warren talk for 2017. Well. Until Billy Joe Saunders squares off with the buzzsaw himself, David yeah. Lemieux. Oh, that could be such a glorious, glorious night. I think it's going to be a good fight either way. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, 2017 doesn't have many offerings left, but the holidays are around the corner and Ken and Ben are still here. Hey, I'll make sure my ass is festively plump come, <laughs> come the turn of the new year, my friend. Oh, it's all gravy, baby. <laughs> it's all gravy. Thanks for listening to episode 187 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at VinceCummings81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. So until next week, the boxing world keeps on trucking Thanksgiving around the corner and lots and lots of motherfucking turducken. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.